Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we're proud to be voted number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60, number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, and number two on caringvillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. The Right Way to Self-Care, W-R-I-T-E. So Lori Ramos Lemasters is the founder of Care Partners Resource and Consulting and a certified journal to the self-therapeutic journal writing instructor. She uses the challenges she experienced while caring for her parents to help caregivers manage the stress of caring for a loved one. Lori teaches practical solutions to daily struggles using journal writing and other techniques. She's a public speaker, educator, and published writer under the last name of Le Masters and Cavallo. She is partnered with organizations such as Colorado Respite Coalition, a program of Easter Seals Colorado, Seniors Resource Center, Caregiver Resource Center, St. Jude Hospital, Latino Age Waves Caregiver Project, and a whole bunch more. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Judy Beloff. She had seven careers, started as a nurse, ended up as a financial advisor, How she got there was through open heart surgery and five strokes, where her oldest daughter and husband were her caretakers for her recovery. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, free membership, by the way, or any of our other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Lori, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I always like to ask my guests just who is Lori LaMasters and why was she placed on this earth? Ah, (laughs) such a good one. I've been trying to prepare myself because I do watch your podcast. You do. um, I do. And I follow your um, page and everything. So um, my answer to that question is I'm the matriarch of, uh, of my family. And I took on that role when my mom passed and, uh, it's, you know, it sounds like just such a fluff title or whatever, but it's, it really is a lot of work keeping a family together, it is. you know? I, and I, I think I'm becoming the matriarch <laughs> of my family as well, because everyone is dying off. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, but we're at that age, right? Where, you know, we start climbing the ladder <laughs> of, of that. Um, but I'm also a, a strong advocate for caregivers and friends and family and I'm a good listener and um, I like to, and I'm a helper. I guess that's who I am. So, <laughs> And you're an author. I am. A, and I am a published author. Yes. Good. What's the name of your book? It is, I'll just, it's, uh, you're a caregiver, not a saint. 
Oh, I like that. (laughs) And I came up with that title really because, you know, I think that when people hear that you're caring for a loved one, whatever the circumstances, the first, their first reaction is I could never do that. You're such a saint. You're amazing. You know, and I've heard those words before (laughs) a time or two, I would imagine. (laughs) Um, But what that does is it gives us this false sense or need to be perfect at what we're doing. Right. Right. And I don't think there is even you or I or Tipa Snow or anybody out there that, that can actually say they're the perfect caregiver. I don't know that there is such a thing. No perfect caregivers out there. Not even the first lady, Rosalind Carter. (laughs) That's That's right. That's right. So um, what was, you were a caregiver. So I, I like to ask, what was the most difficult part of caregiving? I'm well, sure it was all difficult, but try to <laughs> prioritize it in uh, categories. Yeah. I, I guess I would have to say the first most difficult part was just letting reality set in. Mm, getting out um, of denial. Yeah, because, you know, I sort of signed up to be my mom's caregiver without recognizing that I had signed up for that about 10 years before um, she even had her stroke. Mm. So what happened was she had a friend who had become ill and um, her, the friend's family had put her into a long-term care facility. Mm. And as my mom was telling me about this, which by the way, I was home on vacation you know, and she's filling me in on all of these things. And she was really distressed. And she said, don't you ever let that happen to me or Glenn, my stepdad, you promise me right now, don't you ever let that happen. And I made the promise. They I mean, they were healthy. They were made you know. the promise. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I say about those kinds of promises? <laughs> when you realize you made a stupid promise, uh, you go back and you say, you know what? Uh, I want to renege on that promise, but don't worry. I'm going to renew it with a new promise. I know I promised I'd never put you in a nursing home, but that's impossible because I will die if that happens because one day you're going to need better care than I can offer. So I'm going to make a new promise. I'm going to give you the best care available. So just so you know, I'm, I'm making that switch. So don't try to get me, make me feel guilty for right. a promise that I am unable to keep. Right. Yeah. Well, what ended up happening, had I known you back then, <laughs> I'd have been able to say those words, right? So my mom was the caregiver <clears throat> for my dad, who my stepdad, oh. who was on dialysis. And thanks to the modern medicine of dial- dialyzing and whatever, he yeah. started having many strokes. Mm. So he became a little... On early onset dementia, as did, the time. did he ever force her to promise never to put him in a nursing home? Or just no, wondering? he didn't. <laughs> I mean, she didn't. No, so you know, and I'm the baby. Yeah. I was her baby, you know. So I guess she knew I was the one who would would just step up and do it. But um, and to be honest with you, even though it was such a difficult eight years, it was also a beautiful eight years that I would not. Um, trade for anything. Yeah. Um, Bittersweet. Yes, it is. It is. So what was the best part of all of that? Oh, time was, what was the good part that you said, you know, you wouldn't want to have missed any of it. 
yeah, time. Just, Quality you know, we had, even in the struggle, we had um, some really beautiful times. And I, I showed my family, my grandchildren, kind of a, a, a type of love that I don't know that they would have learned otherwise. And, and respect. I mean, we are a very um, strong Latino cultured family. And, you know, in our culture, you don't um, surrender or you don't, you don't let your uh, feelings or needs or desires or whatever uh, take precedence against what a, what an elder or a family member needs. Right. So during that time, what I tried to teach my grandchildren was while there is that respect, you have to find the balance and you have to do, you have to be able to care for yourself as well. But unfortunately Mm -hmm. I didn't learn that till well into the process. So you were modeling to your grandchildren, uh, getting them involved, helping you out, et cetera. Absolutely. That's the best way, you know, because they're going to remember those days. And uh, there are so many caregivers that are under 18 as well. You know, it's like 6 million of them are caring for a grandma. Hey, you know, you're not going to school today. You're taking care of grandma because I got to work and this and that. And and there's no labor board to uh, make sure that they get their lunch on time or make sure they get their 20 minute breaks and this and that. Uh, It's a tough road for kids and adults definitely anyone who calls themselves a caregiver um so how did you there how did how did you discover that just the simple act of writing or journaling uh was something that really helped you to cope and i mean in my case you know the journaling will eventually turn into a book which can help others so tell me your story about how you became a journaler sure so it, it so happened that um, probably a year before my mom's stroke, I, I um, was started the process of ending a 26-year marriage, and I found a therapist who um, was helping me through that process, initially trying to help us reconcile and, and uh, whatever, but that didn't work. And so she was helping me through the process of the morning the loss of what I thought was going to be a forever relationship, you know, Um, and she happens to be the director of an, of a therapeutic writing Institute. And she uses therapeutic writing as a source of, of her therapy. And so that helped me so much that I sporadically used it during the first several years of caregiving. Cause you know, you, Journaling happens when something really wonderful happens or something really terrible happens, right? And we don't know that we can use journaling even in the in-between times, in the process of trying to figure things out, of organizing your day, of, you know, there's so many different techniques involved in journaling. It's not just sitting down and writing for a few minutes. And this particular um, style of journaling that I learned has 18 different techniques of journaling that you can use. And once I started really um, engaging those and using those through my caregiving process, it really um, helped. So towards the end of my mom's life, I made one another one of those promises, but I promised her that what she was going through would not have happened in vain. And 
my lessons would be carried on to help other caregivers. Wow, that's awesome. So is your book about uh, teaching someone the benefits of journaling or is it talking about, you know, your caregiving experiences or both? I mean, what, what is the oh. book about? Yeah. So the beginning part of the book is my story, how I ended up becoming a caregiver and different sections or processes of that and how I utilize journaling through that process. At the end of every chapter, I've included um, snippets from my own personal journal Mm. um, that I went through at the time. And then at the end of the book is a workbook with journal techniques and prompts to help caregivers in Many, many, many of the caregiving situations, starting with identifying what exactly is it that you need for self-care, not what everybody's telling you what self-care should be or needs to be or how many hours it should be or whatever, but what exactly do you need? A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So you said that there's 18 ways to journal. did, Did I hear you right? So let's go over some of those. Um, you know, that that interests me because I didn't <laughs> think there was 18 ways to journal. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm going to learn something here. There you go. So what you've been doing is probably what we call at Journal to the Self, we call that a five-minute sprint or a, a sprint, right? So it's just you have something on your mind and you sit down and you just write about it. And some people do that daily. Some people do it sporadically. Um, just I've, venting helps too. Just getting absolutely. it out of you and onto paper where you can read it and say, oh, it doesn't look so bad when it's on paper. Right? Or even <sighs> if it does, you know, I mean, it's a safe place to say some of the things yeah. and thoughts that we have that are completely natural, but we're afraid to voice them for fear of judgment, right? You can lock it in a filing cabinet <laughs> where nobody can see it. Absolutely. One of the first things we tell caregivers that, that I tell them in the book at the beginning of the work um, book is to tell them, you know, you write on your journal. These are my per- private thoughts. Don't go any further. <laughs> you find a hiding space where you can put. I, I always tell because, you know, most caregivers are women, the predominant number. Right. Yeah. And so I always tell them, put it in your underwear drawer. Your husband's never going to go there. <laughs> right. Um. But find that. And then another key is to find a journal buddy, someone that you can tell. I've been doing journaling. And if anything happens to me, here's where they are. And this is what I want you to do with them. Right? Sometimes you may want them to read them. Sometimes you want them to just burn them. Don't, you know, these are just my private thoughts and I don't want anybody to know them. Wow. Yeah, you know, I I wrote this letter to my wife when I was frustrated. I wanted just to leave her, you know, because yeah. she's so angry all the time during the grief process. And, and I just, I had a vent, so I got a piece of paper out and I says, Charlene, why are you so angry with me? It's so hard to be your caregiver and your husband when you treat me uh, without, you know, appreciation or, or love. I don't feel it. I know it's hard on you. You're making it even harder on me. I, I just don't think I can be with you anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of you financially. Just can't be with you. And I looked at that and I read it over and over again. And I felt better getting it out of me, but I says, I can't give this to her. So <laughs> I stuck it in that filing cabinet and uh, it, it was helpful just to get yes. it out. 
Yes. And then that was later used in my book and in my talks and everything. And, and she, she heard it, you know, years later, of course, when she was more normal, Um, I say normal, the new normal, because she still can't talk and she still can't walk, but she's reinvented herself. And so that's, we, we have to reinvent ourselves because, you know, there is grief and there is anger and there's depression and there's bargaining and we've got to come to acceptance, uh, just realizing yeah. that, you know, this is the way it's going to be and we better be okay with it. Yeah, that's part of the journey, right? And what you did without knowing it is one of the journal techniques. Oh. Writing an unsent letter is an excellent way to express many things, not just, you know, to the, to the person that you're caring for. Sometimes you can write one to yourself. You can write one to... Mm-hmm. Um, family members who you feel are letting you down, right? Like get it all out so that you have a better understanding of what you actually want to say when it is time to, to have that conversation with someone about your expectations yeah. and theirs, right? Yeah. Um, Cause uh, we had kids who, you know, after a couple of years when the, the newness of everything wore off and, and people stopped visiting and they stopped calling and, and it's hard to find people to help and your own kids, you can't even get them, you know, there's yeah, things you want to say be. to them, you know? Sure. Sure. So that to answer your question, that's one of the techniques. Um, one thing that we also tell um, folks that I tell caregivers is set a timer. Like the average journal um, write should not take more than five minutes. Really? Yeah. It's very similar to an argument right? You usually get it all out in those first five minutes. And then if you keep going, it just gets uglier and uglier. So good point. You just want to get it out when the, but here's the key. When that timer goes off, read what you wrote Uh and write for another two or three minutes, starting with something like reading this, I realize, or reading this, I feel. Uh Because what happens in that first right is, is you've gotten all, all of your emotion out, but you haven't really found that aha moment. Like, why did that bother me so much today when she does that every day and it doesn't bother me, right? But today it triggered something. So that second right gives you that feedback and, and an awareness of, of what you wrote about. Wow. And there's uh, how many more? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there are things like, I only use a hand. There's 10 in the book. I didn't go through all 18. But the one that works the best when I'm working with caregivers, other than the two that we've mentioned, there's two more that work really, really well with with caregivers. And that is a perspectives, right? Mm. Which is when you put yourself into a different perspective. And typically what I do with caregivers is have them write from the future and write about something that they're apprehensive about or not willing to necessarily do. In most cases, that's um, self-care, right? Like letting someone come in and help you with your loved one. So I imagine in the beginning, Dave, you had that same issue because my mom and, and your wife had very similar strokes. Mm. My mom was an expressive aphasic. Mm. And so she said, do, do, do all day long, thinking she was telling me sentences. 
right? And get frustrated with me when I didn't know what she was saying, you know? And she was also paralyzed on her right side. So um, I was very apprehensive to leave her with anybody because, of course, no one could care for her the way I could. I understood her. Nobody else understood her, right? But in a perspectives, right, what you do is you write as if it's six months or a year down the road and you've already allowed someone to come in. Mm. And this is what that experience is like. So what it does, it does two things for a caregiver. It helps a caregiver understand what it'll be like and probably there aren't any problems or it, they feel better and so on. Or if they come up with an issue that was a challenge or a problem, now they know it ahead of time. So they know how to plan for it. Yeah, very interesting. So what made you decide to start Care Partners Resource and begin teaching caregivers about journaling? Well, that was the promise, the last promise I made to my mom. And that was that I would help other caregivers so that her journey would have not you know, I, I strongly and she strongly believed that God has a purpose for us and he puts us, he puts these things in our lives for a reason. I mean, I was a mortgage broker for 30 years. Mm. I would never have been able to affect people's lives the way I do now. <laughs> and I never would have done this if my mom hadn't a stro- had a stroke, because before she had that, the only thing I thought about a stroke was my golf game, right? <laughs> so... You know, so she had to go through that in order for me to go through what I went through to get to this place. And is she still alive or no? No, she passed away um, in 09. And she didn't have any other issues like dementia or anything like that? I don't believe so. (laughs) I mean, you know. Hard to tell since they're not verbal. It's hard to tell. Now, my stepdad, who lived three years after my mom's stroke. So I cared for both of them the first three years. Wow. And he did have early onset dementia. Um, you are a saint. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank one, you. One uh, is hard enough. You know, they say the, <laughs> the sandwich generation when you have yeah. two different, uh, and then there's the club sandwich where you have three different, you know, maybe parents, grandparents, a spouse, or maybe even uh, an autistic child or, or something like that. Right. And you're just juggling all this stuff. You've got to be organized. You've got to have a network of people. You've got to put that oxygen mask on first. Otherwise, you're just not going to make it. Exactly. You might as well look for a caregiver for yourself because you can't be one anymore, you know? Right. Well, the statistics of, of, I mean, I don't know it off the top of my head and you might, but how many caregivers pass before their loved one? 30% die before their loved ones do. Yeah. And yeah. uh, at least 50% to become sicker eventually and be mm-hmm. need a caregiver of their own, hospitalized, you know, yeah. and just because they're not doing simple things like asking for help or, yeah. uh, you know, stop isolating yourself from your friends that you used to go to lunch with and to the gym with or to movies with. Don't right. cut those relationships off and, and don't treat them like you should be treating uh, support groups, you know, where you, you can rag on support groups. You can tell them what a rotten day you've had, and, but yeah. you don't do that to your friends or they're not right. coming by anymore. They don't want to hear that. Right. That'd be downer. Right. So you're, you're just excluding all the positivity out of your life, you know? So I think one of the key factors in what I teach caregivers is that to remember that caregiving is what you are doing. It is not who you are. 
Because when you identify as something, if you make that who you are, like when you start, when you started this interview, you asked, who am I, right? If I were to say, well, I'm a caregiver to my mom, blah, 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 blah. Then when you ask for help, if that's who you feel you are personally, then you feel like you're a personal failure. Right. right? But if you realize that it's what you're doing, like a job, then who, you know, if you, if you graduated high school on Friday and on Monday started a job and they made you the CEO, would you not ask for training? (laughs) Would you not? It's not on our resume. Nobody ever taught us, you know, like home economics. Well, here's how you grill a, a cheese, grilled cheese sandwich. And here's how you become a caregiver. I mean, it should be in the curriculum somewhere. Yes. Yes. Or even just understanding that, you know, there is a gray area in aging. You know, we all expect our parents to grow older and we understand they're going to die. We know that, right? But we don't recognize that they're going to slow down. They're going to get dementia. They're going to, you know, fall and break a hip. They're going, you know, we're not, we don't talk about it. And so we don't plan for it. Yeah. So sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can using a journal help a caregiver take better care of themselves? If they're just writing about all this stuff, you know, how, how does it transform into it helping them? Mm-hmm. Besides, So, venting? yeah, other than just venting, there are um, techniques that help them. Um, so, for instance, list making is, is a form of journaling. And it is helpful in so many ways because it helps you organize your day, right? When you're caring for a loved one, you can have two pages of something that needs to be done in a day, right? And then all of a sudden something comes up, your loved one wakes up and they're not in the mood to do some Mm -hmm. of the things that you had on your list today, right? So having that there in front of you helps you to go, oh, I can move this to tomorrow. I don't have to do this today, right? So it takes the stress and the burden off of you, which is self-care. And delegating too. You know, you don't have to delegating. Yeah. uh, Saying, hey, when are you going to the supermarket? While you're there, can you pick up X, Y, and Z? So that saves you a trip, you know? Yes, absolutely. Just understanding your needs, right? Um, Or can you watch mom on Thursday so that I can go get my nails done? or get a massage, or just go to the beach and, you know, listen to the waves crash. I mean, that's not selfish. Not selfish at all. Selfish is not a dirty word, you know? No, (laughs) it isn't, but we're taught so in our society, right? But journaling can help you validate who you are and help you understand that you are worthy. Yeah, you're worth it. You have value. You are worth it. Yes. And, you know, Part of that expression to those people, those family members that you're asking that you need help would be to let them know, what are you going to do if something happens to me? (laughs) Who's stepping in to take care of mom? Right? You know? Scary thought. Right. That'll scare them into helping you one day a month, one day a week, right? When you can't get them to do anything and you can't even get them to send money, you know, (laughs) uh, say, hey, you know, if I go down... Guess who's going guess who's next in line? You are, buddy. That's right. That's right. I don't put the fear of God in them. 
That's right. So that's how journaling really helps um, a caregiver. There's just so many techniques and and ways. And so in my book, what I tried to do was add prompts in there to help caregivers get started. So there's nothing scarier. As an author, you know, there is nothing scarier than looking at that blank page. (laughs) What am I going to write? What do I do? You know? How long did you actually think that you were a saint, uh, believing the, (laughs) the things people were telling you? For a very long time, probably until the last two or three years. And I have to say that even now, I look back and think about what a detriment I was to myself, you know, in because I thought I, I never really, I'll correct that statement a little bit, because I never really thought I was a saint. I thought I had to be a saint. Mm. (laughs) Right. So I felt like I had to, um, just do it all. I felt like everybody else had to do everything my way. Right. And now I teach caregivers to ask themselves the question, is your loved one safe? If they're safe, it doesn't matter if your brother comes over and, you know, doesn't give your your mom chocolate at four o'clock if he forgot and does it at five. You know what I mean? It's like, are they safe? That's the key, you know? And then the other thing I rem- I learned was that I was being so selfish because I didn't let people, by other people helping, they were able to have that relationship with mom that, that I was excluding them from. Yeah. Well, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. I, yeah. I just wanted to ask you real fast about your book. Um, what ways is your book different? What do you hope to get out of it? What do you hope people will take from it? Well, that their emotions and feelings and struggles that they're having are natural mm-hmm. and normal. That really validates, doesn't it? It does. Because I think we beat ourselves up a lot about natural feelings. Yeah. How can someone get your book? It's available on Amazon.com, or they can go to my website, which is carepartnersresource.com, and there's a link on there that'll take them directly to it. And how do they get a signed copy, or is that hard to do these days? It is not. They (laughs) can simply email me at lori at carepartnersresource.com and put in the request, and I will be happy to communicate with them and sign a book and give me their address, and they'll get it. Great. Thank you so much. It was a great interview, very uh, inspiring, and I learned a lot. And remember that uh, everybody out there, that all our live shows become recorded pod and videocasts on all your favorite platforms. And you can purchase my newly number one released book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. Great book that's changing lives all over the world, available wherever books are sold, and my website, caregiverdave.com. That's a free membership support community with lots of tools and resources and free gifts. And check out my Facebook page, Caregiver Dave, a community of 34,000 caregivers. And if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So thanks again to all you guys out there who have helped make us become the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel, may God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
I'm Dave Nassani. My fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is a number one bestseller on Amazon. As a young boy, I was told I possessed an unusual amount of wisdom for my age. As a young man, I found myself counseling friends and older family members whenever they needed answers to their problems. Then at 21, I read the Bible for the very first time and learned how King Solomon asked God for wisdom instead of riches, yet he received both. I was so impressed that I too asked God for wisdom. Soon after, I discovered when lying on my hammock, I would receive wisdom from God. This book is the result of my passion to share with the world wisdom's tremendous benefits. Join me as I reveal practical aspects of wisdom for the mind, body, and spirit. 31 lessons I learned from God that can change your life. Available in hardcover, audible, Kindle, and paperback, wherever books are sold. I've spoken all over the country and London, and am available to speak at your event. Contact me at hammockwisdom.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 